around 6 a.m. on December 4, 2000, Rob Will and a Houston cop's son, Michael Allen Rosario, were stripping hubcaps in North Houston when two Harris County deputies rolled up and they gave chase through a nearby apartment complex. Deputy Hill followed Rob and Deputy Kelly chased Rosario. Just around the time that Deputy Hill radioed in that he had Rob in custody, Deputy Kelly lost sight of Rosario. And then, about a minute later, Deputy Kelly heard gunshots coming from a little over 100 yards away. Michael Allen Rosario had shot and killed Deputy Hill, and Rosario also shot Rob Will's left hand and freed him from his cuffs. Rob and Rosario separately fled the scene. Rob boosted a car, only to be pulled over and arrested peacefully about an hour northwest of Houston. Meanwhile, Michael Allen Rosario fled to Rob's girlfriend's apartment where he is said to have had blood on his clothing and washed up in the sink. At trial, the prosecution muddied the details about how much time Rosario had had to return to the scene and murder Deputy Hill, which would have made Rob the only possible culprit at the scene. Despite the physical evidence to the contrary, Rob was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. One of Rob's appellate attorneys, Sammy Khalil, tells me now about the evidence that they've uncovered, as well as the progress in Rob's fight for freedom. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. That's me. I'm your host. And today we're going to discuss a case that has been a passion of mine for a long time. The case of Robert Gene Will. 
We'll be joined by his highly esteemed appellate attorney, Sammy Khalil. But first, let me take you back to death row in Texas, the Polunsky unit, where I had a chance to speak with Rob in person. Hey, Rob, thanks for sharing your story with us. Thank you. So let's go back to way before all of this happened. Tell us about you as a child. Oh, man, um, kind of a quiet type of child who liked to read a lot. And how was it growing up? I mean, how was your home life? Uh, kind of grew up around, <laughs> I mean, you know, my dad was murdered. I mean, he'd been in and out of prison before he was murdered. Yeah, it was really just not good. So just before all of this happened, what were you doing with your life? I was going into my second year of college for child psychology, and I was taking care of my son. That was one of my main focuses, taking care of my son and his uh, half-brother. One of the reasons I went to school, to college for child psychology, because I was like, okay, I, I grew up in an evangelical Christian Southern Texan household. You didn't talk about problems. You didn't talk about emotion. You didn't talk about issues. Now I remember just never having anyone to talk to. Like even after my dad was murdered, I didn't, I didn't ever talk to anyone at all about it. And getting older, you kind of realize how bad that is. And I wanted to get a degree in child psychology. Okay, I could help children who didn't have anyone to talk to, right? And I always told myself, I'm gonna be there for my son. And how old was your son when this tragedy happened? Uh, he was less than a year old. Yeah, I was a very active father though. I mean, I like, took care of him, changed his diapers, bathed him, like men in our society should, but a lot don't. I took care of his uh, half-brother, who was four, five, four or five. So you were, you were going to school, being a good dad, but you were also involved with some not so great people. I mean, in fact, you were scaring up some extra cash by stripping hubcaps in North Houston with the son of a Houston cop named Michael Allen Rosario on the morning that Harris County Deputy Barrett Hill was murdered. Okay, I was doing stupid stuff, hanging around idiot people. Even though I didn't commit this murder, you know, I, I'm responsible for engaging in activity that I should have known could have led to bad things, then I'd be taken away from my son. Today we have with us Sammy Khalil. Now, Sammy is a former assistant federal public defender. He's also a member of the Federal Bar Association, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, the Harris County Criminal Lawyers Association. He's also a fellow of the Texas Bar Foundation, a board member of the Texas Defenders Service. And of course, for quite some time now, he's been a part of the legal team, including Jay Ewart and Karen Otto from Arnold and Porter, and two local Houston attorneys, Chad Flores and Adam Donnell. And they're all working together to have the truth come out and free Rob Will. So, Sammy, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Thank you, Jason. And you and I have had the opportunity to spend some time together. Of course, we were on Dr. Phil's show together talking about this very case. And of course, it starts with Rob Will's unbelievably tragic childhood where he was abused terribly. His father was murdered when he was 10, right? That's right. He was in and out of trouble as a kid. This happened when he was 21. He was arrested in December of 2000 and has been on death row essentially for the last two decades. What we know happened, Rob and Rocky, 
Michael Allen Rosario's nickname, were stripping down like the hubcaps of a parked vehicle in an apartment complex in North Houston, 6 a.m., December 4th, sun barely rising. And a patrol vehicle arrives at the scene. Deputy Michael Kelly was in that patrol vehicle and also Deputy Barrett Hill. When they arrive, Rob and Rosario run behind several units of the apartment complex. There's kind of like a grassy alleyway. They are chased. Deputy Hill follows Rob. Deputy Kelly follows Rosario. Now, Rob takes a hard left through an opening between two apartment units. Rocky does the same thing, but at the next opening, and they both proceed in the same direction on either sides of this apartment unit. They both cross the street. About 20 seconds later, the dispatch tapes show that Deputy Hill had Rob in custody. He radios into the dispatch center saying, I have one in custody. It's undisputed that that person in custody is Rob. Meanwhile, Rosario continues down a concrete kind of overgrown driveway in this field that's on the other side of the street that they both crossed. And Deputy Kelly, he admitted that he lost sight of Rosario at some point after Rosario entered the concrete driveway. And we believe after Rob was placed in custody by Deputy Hill, that Michael Allen Rosario reached the end of that overgrown driveway, took a left, and proceeded back to the area where Rob was handcuffed and in custody and murdered Deputy Hill, freed Rob of the handcuffs, and they both fled. And we know that Rob was shot in the process in his left hand. There's no question about that. Rob's third and fourth knuckle, maybe the fourth and fifth knuckle of his left hand was essentially blown off. Immediately after the tragic, senseless murder of Deputy Hill, Rosario went to Rob's girlfriend's home where he washed his clothes. He'd later removed names and numbers from his address book. I mean, come on. He went on to confess to no less than five separate people who later, all, every one of them signed a sworn affidavit, and it gets worse from there. When Rosario's family was asked to produce the clothes he had been wearing on the morning of the crime, the clothes had been washed, bleached, and neatly folded. These are not the actions we typically would associate with someone who is innocent. So back to the morning of the murder, Rob boosted a car to get away. Now, obviously that's illegal and he doesn't dispute that, but it doesn't make him a murderer. In fact, when he was pulled over about an hour northwest of Houston in Brenham, Texas, he was compliant and peaceful toward the arresting officers. The prosecutors have created this narrative like, you know, look how he acted afterwards, right? But they don't even want to talk about the actual physical evidence in my case. I think that's very important. How did you act afterwards? Well, I, <laughs> I ran away. I mean, I saw someone get killed. Yeah, I'm running away. So you're pulled over and arrested. They treat your wounded left hand. They bag your hands and gloves to be tested for gunshot residue. What was going through your mind? I was pretty much in a state of trauma, right? You know, it, very, very disturbing. I didn't give any statement to police. And, you know, they kept trying to get me to talk about what happened and you know, who was with me, and I just didn't give any statement. How long were you in jail before trial? Uh, about a year and a month. I mean, Rob, you knew you hadn't killed Deputy Hill, but at the time, 
did you really think everything was going to work itself out? You, you want to think that the system is righteous, the system is honorable, those in, people in positions of power are going to do the right thing. I mean, I didn't understand anything about the system as a whole. I wasn't familiar with the criminal justice reform movement at the time. I didn't understand the problems. They didn't turn over some of the main physical evidence in my case. They waited a year and a month until the day before trial. And just take a look at the physical evidence. I mean, just like some of the things are so so ridiculous. It's just obvious and self-evident. So let's talk about the physical evidence available at trial. None of Deputy Hill's blood was found on Rob or his clothing, the same clothing from the scene that he was arrested in. When Rob was arrested, his wounded left hand was treated and his gloves and hands were bagged to be tested for gunshot residue. Now, as per Josh Dubin's Junk Science episode about gunshot residue, which I strongly recommend, one cannot conclude that the presence of antimony or barium or other elements associated with gunshot residue directly mean that a gun was fired or not. It just means that those elements are present, but the source really cannot be determined. It could be cigarette ash, certain mechanical equipment, even dried urine, as well as gunshots, of course. Those things and others can all be a potential source of some of these elements. However, if none of those elements are found at all on a suspect's hands or gloves, it can be said with certainty that a gun had not been fired by that person's hand. Uh, it appears to be the state's theory, and was the state's theory at the time of trial, that Rob had this firearm before the murder. Somehow, after being handcuffed, or in the process of being handcuffed, shot himself, handcuffed, injured himself, and somehow miraculously freed himself of these handcuffs. The problem with that theory is that no gunshot residue was ever found on Rob's right hand at all. So without gunshot residue on the right hand glove or his right hand, the one he would have needed to shoot his own left hand, obviously, it can be said with certainty that he had not fired the gun at all. Deputy Hill had not even unholstered his gun, let alone fired it. So someone else was at that crime scene firing a gun. The ballistics evidence showed that Deputy Hill had been shot as close as eight inches away. Had Rob shot Deputy Hill from that range, Rob would have been covered in Deputy Hill's blood. This was not the case. Rob did not have a speck of Deputy Hill's blood on him. So obviously someone did shoot Deputy Hill. But all evidence points away from Rob and toward Rosario, who, by eyewitness accounts, had washed blood off of his clothing in Rob's girlfriend's sink. So how in the world did the prosecution pin this on Rob? What else did they present? The dispatch records are critical. The state said that Rosario, based on its analysis of the dispatch records, only had about eight seconds to cover about 300 feet, 100 yards, call it almost a football field. The state's position was that Rosario is not an Olympic athlete, that he can't cover that distance, about 300 feet in eight seconds. But in fact, a careful review and analysis of the testimony at trial matched with the dispatch records that were presented at trial show that Rosario had at least anywhere from 44 seconds to a minute, 26 seconds in between to reach the scene of the crime. So that was not articulated well 
at trial. And what's critical is that Deputy Kelly and the state suggested that Rosario went right, went east at the end of that driveway, although Deputy Kelly has since walked back those initial intimations and at trial admitted that he didn't know that he lost sight of where Rosario actually went. But what was not presented at trial was this critical bloodhound dog tracking evidence that traced the scent of Michael Allen Rosario shortly after the murder up this concrete driveway. And instead of to the right, which was the state's theory, east, the bloodhound tracked hard west to the left, directly to the crime scene. That was not presented to the jury. Right. And so since these and so many more critical pieces of evidence, some of which were hidden by the prosecution, others simply not investigated by Rob's counsel at trial, since this evidence was not presented to the jury and since Rosario couldn't possibly have made that distance in eight seconds, we know that no human being could, then despite all other evidence making Rob's guilt impossible, under this false narrative, Rob was the only one the state was placing at the crime scene. And we know in a case like this, someone had to answer, someone had to pay for Deputy Hill's murder. And that point was really driven home by what is known as the wall of blue. Can you talk about that? Sure, absolutely. The Harris County Sheriff's Office put out a bulletin for Harris County Sheriff's deputies to appear in uniform at Rob's trial, not to offer evidence, but to appear as spectators. So imagine if you are such a juror sitting to pass judgment on a person whom the district attorney's office believes killed a police officer. To have a wall of blue in the trial room, it sends an unmistakable message that we know who pulled the trigger. Had nothing to do with evidence, everything to do with creating an atmosphere of prejudice and intimidation. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. So there you are in the courtroom, still healing from being shot in the hand, a gunshot wound that the lack of gunshot residue proves conclusively that you could not have inflicted on yourself. The prosecution muddied the water around how much time Rosario had to get back to the crime scene and shoot Deputy Hill from behind, along with a mountain of exculpatory evidence that was either unknown, uninvestigated, or most importantly, hidden at the time of trial, plus the wall of blue. You were sentenced to death. Can you tell us about that moment? I mean, it was a death sentence, a pronouncement of death. Thinking back, it's just, when you feel like you're, you're out of time and out of space and this isn't real, it's like, this, this can't be happening. This, you know, this is not real. So you've been locked up since December 4th of 2000, and eventually you were sent to death row. What have you been doing all this time to occupy your time and keep your mind sane? Oh, man, I do a lot of reading, yoga, meditation, work on art. And I encourage our audience to check out some of Rob's work. We did a show in New York with some of his artwork to support his legal battle. Just follow the link in the episode description to check it out. FreeRobWill.org is the website, FreeRobWill.org. Now, Rob, when you got here, your son was just barely two years old. Have you at least gotten to see him? Oh, well... I didn't have a lot of contact with him because some of my relatives didn't let me have a lot of direct contact with him. So I'd write him and hope the letters would get to him. Some of them did, but we didn't have a lot of contact until he got older. He he came to see me after he turned 18. And it's just like, wow, man. You know, he's like six foot one. <laughs> he's big. Hey, hey, man, what's up? And, you know, yeah, I wear a size 12 shoe, right? He wears size 13. And I stand up. And he's like right here. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Wow, man. You know, he's almost as tall as me, and it's just, he's a man, you know? I mean, he, he's, a, he's, he's a man. I kind of upset, emotionally talking about this, so, you know, just like, I mean, first time I held my son, I was just in tears. I'm not somebody like burst out in tears. I, I actually just became a grandfather, right? Kind of emotional. What, what, what was the question again? Well, it, it was just if you get to see yeah. him. You know, I have kids myself, and the thought of not being able to be physically with them. There, there have been times where, for some years when I first got here, very, very, very hard. There's people I care about out there that I, I know I could be a positive influence in their life if I was out there, and worrying about that can be disturbing. To say the least, it could be disturbing. But really, I, I mean, I went through a period where I did a lot of study in religion and psychology and psychoanalysis and yoga and mind body health. I mean, I'm, I'm like spend weeks and weeks and weeks doing these things like, you know, spend four or five months on one yoga pose, really internalizing the meaning. And, and one of the things that being mindful really teaches you is like, OK, analyze events from a perspective of this is not happening to me. This is happening in a larger context. 
it's one of the reasons why I always feel compelled to engage in so much criminal justice reform activity. Because, okay, it's not about just me. It's like I, I feel compelled to speak out about that and to work on criminal justice reform. You know what I mean? Yeah, you've gotten a paralegal degree while in here, and you've been leading and participating in nonviolent protests. Can you talk about that and how you began down this path? Oh, well, it, it came about from very in-depth study, particularly the history of uh, resistance to British imperialism in India. And there's a, there's a book, what is it, A Hundred Years of Nonviolent Struggle? It showed me what is possible. And I thought, well, okay, there are guys here who are innocent. There are guys here who are under the law of parties who the state will tell you they've never killed anybody. But there's still, there's so much bias against criminal defendants and prisoners, especially people on death row. I thought, well, let's do something different. The idea was to take the theories that were practiced in India and during the civil rights movement here and engage in nonviolent direct action protest to bring some of the issues that, that criminal justice reform movement is pushing on the outside to the forefront, right, from the lens of this environment and also to better the conditions here. Okay, so, for example, I'm in the rec yard, right? And they come and they handcuff us and take us out. And myself and others say, no, we're not coming out. They say, why? I say, well, for numerous reasons. One, you have innocent people here. Two, you have mentally ill people here you're trying to execute. Three, we're in highly oppressive conditions. And of course, they say, well, <laughs> oh, we got something for that. And they bring the SWAT team and they gas you, run in there and rough you up. And, and also, I mean, to be fair to staff members, yeah, there are violent prisoners here. But, yeah, they react with violence to nonviolence. Yeah, I've, I've seen those videos. Um, it's hard to believe that you actually lived that. Oh, yeah. They hit me with, now, this gas is for riot control. It's for, like, 20, 20 to 30 people. You're not even supposed to use this in the cell. They hit me with it, and that's why, I mean, I start convulsing. And, uh, yeah, it went on for an hour of gassing. I almost died, actually. But, hey, we're sitting here talking about it right now, right? Yes, we are. And I guess your perspective about death might be a little different from inside here. Do you think about it a lot? Yeah. Ha, you know what? Yeah, I made myself. I mean, I, I made myself. You, you got to, like, memento mori, right? But here's an interesting thing. In various religious schools and mystic schools, they have sacred rites of, like, fake deaths, right? Like, even with Freemasons, they, they have a symbolic death. Okay, it's... Memento mori, remember mortality, right? And I mean, you could wallow in fear and just be let that break you, which I've seen dudes go insane. Or you could say, all right, what does that mean? Understanding death. And the conclusion I've come to is like, live life, man, live life. You know what I mean? This is just beauty everywhere, everywhere. Like, I was listening to some Coltrane, John Coltrane. Just listen to some John Coltrane, man. How can you be sad listening to John Coltrane? It's like a mystic sorcerer, you know what I mean? And again, it's perspective. It's a lot of yoga and meditation, man. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good formula for survival anywhere, including on the outside. Do you allow yourself hope for being on the outside again one day? Oh, uh, man, I've been locked up almost 20 years. I mean... I have faith that the right thing will be done. Someone is going to make this right. 
So, Sammy, how long have you been representing Rob? The federal judge here in Texas appointed me in January of 2012 to take over Rob's case. Judge Ellison described a case containing what he called disturbing uncertainties. And at that time, the federal judge expressed what he called his deeply felt concerns about the substantial evidence of actual innocence on the part of Rob Will. Errors of grave proportion at the initial trial. So that's the situation I found myself walking into when this federal judge asked me to take over Rob's case and look from the very beginning all the way through the appellate process what actually has happened. Can you tell us about the ridiculous state habeas appeal, which is, of course, the round of appeal before you were appointed by Judge Ellison? Tell us what this appellate attorney did and how damaging it was. I will. Rob was appointed a lawyer who essentially cut and pasted a brief that he had filed in a different death penalty case into Rob's brief. So this lawyer should have done what any reasonably competent state habeas lawyer would do. Go back out and reinvestigate the case. Look at witnesses that should have been called, evidence that wasn't produced. Carefully analyze what's in the state's file. Do the analysis of the timeline that we have now done. Look at the forensic evidence. Look at Michael Allen Rosario. Go through the police records, his statements. You would have uncovered multiple lies Rosario made to the police, including denying that he'd ever been there, that he even knew Rob, and that he had handled the gun just before the murder. Rosario's behavior post-murder was deeply suspicious and points to consciousness of guilt. For example, he did go back to this apartment the morning of the murder. He told a witness by the name of Natasha Alien that as he was washing his clothes in the kitchen sink of the apartment, he made a statement that the blood just came off. The DA's office moved the trial court to block that statement from Natasha Alien from coming into evidence for the jury's consideration. That is the evidence that Judge Ellison, in the third round of appeals, has now pointed to as evidence that should have been presented. That's just one example of Rosario's suspicious behavior after the murder. These are all issues that should have been investigated that we have uncovered since 2012. So let's just quickly recap some of those issues and evidence that we've already mentioned. No gunshot residue on the glove or hand that Rob would have needed to shoot himself and Deputy Hill. None of Deputy Hill's blood or DNA on Rob, which should have been the case since Deputy Hill was shot at close range. The analysis of the dispatch transcripts and sworn testimony that shows that Rosario had plenty of time to return to the scene and murder Deputy Hill. The bloodhound tracking evidence that also supports Rob's version of events. A slew of witnesses who have signed affidavits claiming that Rosario admitted to the murder, as well as the statement from Natasha Halian claiming that Rosario talked about how the blood just came out of the pants as he was washing them in her kitchen sink. Then there's all of Rosario's lies to the police, which include denying having been there at all, denying even knowing Rob Will, and last but not least, denying having ever touched the gun, only to admit having handled the gun just before the murder. I mean, this should be more than enough, but there's even more. 
We've uncovered a new witness, David Cruz, who says that Michael Allen Rosario confessed to the murder, but that he was going to blame Rob Will. And we've uncovered the smoking gun. We've discovered police records that show that Michael Allen Rosario approached the Texas Syndicate gang and David Cruz to have Rob Will, the only eyewitness to his crime, killed after the murder. There's nothing more suspicious than trying to have someone killed post-crime. The state of Texas knew about this document. The district attorney's office knew about this document, but they inexplicably concealed it from Rob's defense team. In fact, pre-trial, days before the beginning of jury selection, Deputy Strickland, who authored this document, represented to the court under oath that he had no information relating to Rob Will's case. I mean, why would the authorities be seeming to protect an individual who by all appearances seems to have been the actual murderer of a police officer? Michael Allen Rosario is someone who has been in trouble with the law since a very young age. And seemingly he has been protected, Rosario, before the crime and also after he and Rob were arrested, appeared to believe that his dad was a shield from prosecution. He made statements to jailers, in particular Deputy Patricia Schifani, that he was essentially invincible. That, too, is another police record or jail record that was never disclosed to Rob's defense team. You know, this is not some fly-by-night person. This is an actual police official who's prepared to come forward with this very damning evidence. And what we have been fighting for is a new trial to present all of the evidence that we have uncovered over the last eight years. And I understand there's been some progress on that front. There has been uh, some movement on that front. After a, a long struggle on August 5th of 2020, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit sent the case back to Judge Ellison so he could further explore this key exculpatory evidence that was withheld from Rob's trial lawyers in fact, they quote him at length in certain parts of their opinion that there are disturbing uncertainties, a total absence of eyewitness testimony or strongly probative forensic evidence, and considerable evidence supporting Will's innocence. And then the Fifth Circuit goes on to say that there were disturbing uncertainties of Will's culpability even before the introduction of the withheld evidence. Now, with the new evidence in hand, the uncertainties are even more disturbing. Uh, in addition to all of that, the Fifth Circuit stated that Rob Will has now demonstrated that it is reasonably likely that after hearing the new evidence, alongside the old evidence, every reasonable juror would have some level of reasonable doubt. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. absolutely innocent this isn't some ridiculous game or anything and i want people to really really realize this and i take the time to look at the evidence because yeah it's about me but it's about my family and and it's, it's about the criminal justice system as a whole you know there are law professors who or like academic commentators who say well yeah we probably executed four or five innocent people in texas that's not okay it's not okay it is not okay it is not okay at all. Well, Rob, you're definitely preaching to the choir here. I, I can't even count the number of times I've said this while arguing against people who believe in the death penalty. I mean, how many innocent people is it okay to execute? Like, do you know any other innocent guys that are in there with you right now? Well, I, I'll tell you this. When I first got here, I thought I was the only one, right? But then it's like, oh, wow. Another guy exonerated. Oh, wow. Oh, another exoneration. It's just like, it's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? I think maybe one of the things is like, I read so much and I study so much. And I think I've always kind of been like that, but it's a compulsion to understand society and understand the system and understand more of the intricacies of life. And also I feel, feel deep compulsion to Really let people understand the system, man, and, and, and understand how it truly works. And one of the reasons why I fight so hard is because I have a vision of doing the type of work Anthony Graves has done since he's been released. Anthony Graves is a really good dude. He was exonerated here uh, five, six years ago. And he, he is like a shining example of 
what the foreign incarcerated, especially those who are exonerated, should be. Well, Rob, even if you're not out yet, you have already shown yourself to be that shining example through your artwork, through your spirit, through what you've been able to accomplish from behind bars, not only in the realm of criminal justice and prison reform, but also in just the man that you have become against all odds. So thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. We're not here for any reason other than to try to have the truth come out, not just for Rob and for his family, but also for the family of the murdered officer and and for his memory. It was a senseless crime that never should have happened, but Rob didn't do it, and he shouldn't be in prison for it. We're going to need all the support we can get from anyone and everyone who can lend their voice to this issue. So if you haven't done so already, please check out the Rolling Stone article about this case and go to freerobwill.org to learn more. You can also sign a petition for a new trial for Rob at change.org. All of these action steps will be linked in the episode bio. So just scroll down, learn more, and get involved. And Sammy, we have a feature of this show that has come to be my favorite part of the show. And I think a lot of the audience shares my feelings on it. it it's a segment we call Closing Arguments. And basically, it's just where I get to, once again, thank you for being here and then turn my microphone off and just kick back, close my eyes and listen to you with any closing thoughts that you want to share. Well, Jason, thank you again. Thank you for your commitment to criminal justice reform, your interest in the death penalty and reforming and hopefully one day abolishing the death penalty. And thank you in particular for your interest in Rob's case. Dr. Phil, he deserves a lot of credit. These are not easy cases. We have a slain police officer, and people don't want to be associated with that. But what we need is for the truth to come out. All we're asking, if you're going to seek the death penalty against someone, let's make it a fair fight. Don't hide evidence. Don't conceal evidence. Live up to your obligations. You have to, under the Constitution, under the Supreme Court's 19. 63 case, Brady versus Maryland, turn over, disclose to the defense favorable evidence. Why? If you don't, innocent people like Rob end up on death row. So we need another trial where the jury hears the whole story, not just half of the story. We need another trial where the DA's office lives up to its constitutional and ethical obligations to turn over favorable evidence before the trial, not 13, 14 years afterwards when the appellate process is so restrictive in terms of what judge can do. We need to get a new trial that's fair, that's just, where the DA's office plays by the rules, where they don't hide or conceal evidence. Thank you, Jason. Rob? I think that people need to understand that I truly am innocent and my case, yes, it's about me and my family, but it's also about the criminal justice system as a whole. And everybody needs to, to realize the truth of the evidence in my case and also understand that it should be a, a, a microscope with which to examine the intricacies of the criminal justice system. And I hope people will feel compelled to get involved in criminal justice reform. Oh, 
everybody go 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 on the internet and google john coltrane interview go listen to love supreme L- listen to some john coltrane man and, and you gonna be happy huh Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions before they happen. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number One. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.